lesson. Let's get our Bibles out and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you'll find that on page 1361 in the pew Bible in front of you. If you need a copy of Scripture, just grab that Bible there, open to page 1361, and you'll find 2 Thessalonians 3. We're going to talk today about the reality that Monday matters to God. Monday matters to God. I uh, was thinking that as we take a break from Galatians just for a week, I know we're I'm so anticipating uh, chapter 5 in Galatians. It's hard for me to, to wait uh, a week, but I really feel like several months ago, the Lord just really began to put this uh, on my heart, and I knew that uh, on Father's Day, this would be the conversation that we would have. So I want us to pray first and ask God to help us, and then we'll look together in His Word and allow the Lord to do the work in us that He desires to do. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your perfect, inerrant Word, God. What a gift it is to us. We are so grateful today to be able to hold in our hands the very Word of God that is intended for us, that, Lord, it is so precious to our hearts, the power harnessed within Your Word and what it can do in us is truly astonishing. And we are grateful today. And so, Lord, we ask now that You would give us ears to hear and hearts prepared to receive. And Father God, we give you all the glory for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if the name Mike Rowe means anything to you. Some of you would recognize that name uh, if you heard his voice. Most of us in here would know his voice. He uh, is the voice for many, many products and commercials on television. He has a very recognizable voice. He's the voice of uh, the deadliest catch uh, the the show that uh, is so exciting to so many of us uh, males in the room as we watch people uh, risk their life every second trying to catch these unbelievable king crabs in the middle of the Bering Sea. But Mike Rowe is most famous for a TV show called Dirty Jobs. And he... Uh, travels around and he finds people that have these very, uh, what we would call dirty jobs, jobs that no one else would want to have. And the story behind Mike Rowe is Mike Rowe was raised by his grandfather. And his grandfather was a man who uh, worked very hard. He was, a, he was an electrician. He woke up every morning and he left early in the day and he came home in the afternoon. And, and Mike would talk about how his grandfather would leave clean every day and come home dirty and just how he was so inspired and how the work ethic of his grandfather had such an impact on him. And if you've ever watched the show Dirty Jobs, um, it's quite entertaining because and informative because you find out that there are people that do things that you never thought in a million years people would do. Uh, I've thought about some of the episodes over the years of that show that I've seen at the time that he went and visited a man who was a maggot farmer. The, The guy who his job actually was a shark suit tester. So that was his job, that he would put the shark suits on and test them to see if they worked. I'm thinking, man, I don't know. How do you get insurance when your job is a shark suit tester? 
I have no idea. But here's what is remarkable about that ship. Is that you will never see one of these people on that ship who does not find great joy in their job. They're happy. They are uh, engaged in what they do. And Mike will talk to them about and he will do the job with them. And of course, he's always making jokes and complaining about how gross or hard or whatever the case may be. But they're, they're always just uh, going forward with a smile on their face and just grateful that they, that, that they do what they do. And, and you ask yourself, now, how is that? How is it that, that, that somebody could be a maggot farmer and find joy in that? That they would be, be grateful for that job and that they would, would work hard and take seriously and feel like that they were accomplishing something. It's because there is a principle that God placed in the heart of man that is without meaningful work, we will perish, we will languish. We, we, we were not created to not have meaningful work in our lives. And when you look around the United States of America today, you'll be astonished at the amount of people who do not work. That we are increasingly becoming a nation of dependents and those who are entitled to something and who simply don't work. And it appears to me that in the midst of... uh, a lot of complex circumstances and situations that go into that national uh, tragedy that we're facing, in the midst of that, that it's as if we, even as the church, have bought into the world's lie that what's good is a life devoid of work. That the goal of our lives should be a life of leisure. And my question would be, where did we ever get that idea. Have we failed to recognize the biblical uh, vision of work that sees work as necessary as food, water, even worship, prayer, fellowship? That work is as necessary as any of those things, and that's by the design of God. You know, historically, there are so many illustrations that point this uh, fact out. You could, you could, you could look at the the veterans who came home from World War II, and after the most uh, excruciating war and such at such a high cost and such a uh, just great pain and suffering, and yet those men came home with with such. Uh, pride and such a sense of accomplishment because of what had been accomplished and that in the midst of the harshness of what they did, they succeeded. And that's what what drives the heart to be uh, to feel fulfilled in the area of vocation or work. And at the same time, uh, there are multiple stories, one of which I think the most famous one is of uh, during Hitler's Nazi regime. There was a concentration camp that was in Hungary. And for many, you know, there were, there were many prisoners there. And day in and day out, their job was to work in this factory in these horrible conditions where human waste was processed to produce uh, power, I believe. And so they, they worked day in and day out in these horrible conditions. 
I mean, in the elements, they didn't have any of the, the, the safety things were not in place and all of the, it was just horrible, horrible. But they, they endured and they were able to, to, to overcome and, and day after day they would wake up and they would work and work and work. And then one day allied forces bombed that, uh, camp and they hit the factory. And so the, the Nazi, uh, the Nazis in charge couldn't operate the factory anymore. And so they had all these prisoners and they had to figure out what they were going to do with them. So they ordered the men to go out and to begin cleaning up all the rubble and to stack it up on one side of the concentration camp. And so they would work and stack it up. And then when they were done, they said, now we want you to stack it up on this side of the concentration camp. And so they would move it bit by bit you know, day after day to the other side. And then when they were done with that, they would say, now move it back to the other side. And something interesting happened. Men that had endured those horrific conditions began to, they began to go crazy. They began to throw themselves into the electric fence. They began to charge the guard so that they would be shot. Men began to tremble uncontrollably. They began to just drop dead in frustration because they could not exist. They could exist in, in the harshest of environment where they were at least doing something. But when it came to just moving rubble monotonously from one side to the other for no reason, just to be busy, it drove them insane. Now, that should tell us something about the way God made us. And the reality is, is that for us in here in the church today, tomorrow brings very different challenges. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and go to a job you love. Some of you will wake up tomorrow and go to a job that you desperately hate. But what I want you to know this morning on Father's Day is that our work matters to God. What you do matters to God. You know, we tend to believe that, uh, it, that, that special people, God chooses special people and calls them to special occupations. And so we, we say things like, you know, we're, we're called to be a pastor. We're called to be a missionary. We're called to be a, a worship leader. And, but everyone else who wakes up and goes to their regular nine to five, they're just going through the motions. They're just doing something just so that there's food on the table at the end of the week. But you see, that doesn't really add up in the economy of God. If you stop and think about it, more than half of your time will be spent at work. And so if God is not Lord of your work, then He can't be Lord of your life now, can He? He can't be. Because it's too big a part of your life. Every one of us as Christians should learn to think biblically about our work. Otherwise, we're going to think that what happens on Sunday is not connected to what happens on Monday. And God would tell us today that nothing could be further from the truth. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul is coming to the end of his second epistle to this church at Thessalonica. And he's, he has dealt with many things. Uh, in these two uh, books, he's talked about many, many things in his letters to them. But you have to understand the, the, the condition, the, the things that this church is facing, the context in which they find themselves in. This is only the second church, we think, that was planted in Europe. And so it was a, a tiny island in a sea of paganism. You know, the, the church at Thessalonica was not a church among many churches. It was, the, it was alone 
And so these were, these were once pagan people that now had been revolutionized by the gospel and they're trying to live for Christ, but everything around them, they're, all of the, all of the things that they can see in every direction are leading them and calling them and drawing them in the opposite direction. And so they're young in their faith and they're under attack on every side. And Paul's encouraging them to stand firm in their faith and not to be afraid. He's encouraging them that Paul is with them. But when he gets to chapter 3, he deals with a specific problem that he dealt with in chapter 4 in the first epistle. But he's, he's coming back to it again because apparently it's still a problem that has not been dealt with. And it's important enough for him to come back to it and to give us these hard words that we're going to look at this morning. So let's look, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Strong words from the Apostle Paul with regards to this issue of work. So let's look at four things God will show us. The first one is the danger of not working. The danger of not working. You have to understand that this church was being influenced. You got to remember these are, it's primarily not Jews. These are, this is similar to the church in Galatia. So the Galatian churches. So these people, the, from a, a very influenced by the Greek and Roman society and they've come into the, 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 the church and they brought with them the values that are sort of in the world. And so in this time, in this culture, the, the way the Greeks and the Romans looked at work was they, they looked at it something that was beneath them. Manual labor was something that slaves did. And so in a time of slavery, the feeling was, well, why would you do something that you can own someone to do for you? And so they would devote their time to higher things like philosophy or drama or arts or whatever the case may be. But they were not going to get their hands dirty or do anything. And so they were looking down on people who worked hard or worked with their hands. And so now these people have brought this into the church. And as a result, there was a culture of entitlement in the church. Look at what he says in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, he's saying this because evidently this is a problem. Paul is responding to a problem that there's an unwillingness to work combined with an attitude of entitlement, that there are those within the church who want to eat but don't want to work. They, they feel like others should do the work for them and that they should be able to reap the benefits of what other people are doing without participating in the work in any way, shape, or form. And it was creating dysfunction within the family of God. You know, why, why is Paul... 
so taking this so seriously? Well, if we keep reading, we'll see. He brings our attention to the reason this is so important. In verse 11, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. You see, he's, he's addressing the fact that what happens in the, the kingdom of God, what happens in a, in a church, in a family of faith, when there are those who, who are idle and not busy and don't do things, then they become busy doing the wrong things. And when there are busy bodies, bad things happen. Two horrible consequences in particular. The first one is, is that when there are busy bodies in the church, when people are gossiping in the church, when people are not engaged in what God has called us to do as the people of God, then they drift into things they ought not be doing. And in their, in their gossiping and in their lounging, they disrupt the unity of the family of faith. That what happens is the unity in the body of Christ is negatively affected. Because what happens is, is that when people talk about other people, especially within the church, you are speaking negatively against the bride of Christ. And you have to understand that not only is that going to have terrible consequences in the unity of the fellowship, but it's also going to have terrible consequences on the witness of the fellowship. You see, there's too many churches that have no witness in their community Because the people who are outside of Christ want no part of what they see going on by the people inside of Christ. Now, thank God that we don't have that problem here, but it's not non-existent. It does exist. And it never ceases to amaze me, not that there are busybodies among us, but there are those who should know better who entertain such nonsense. And so Paul is giving this strong warning Because there's danger in not working. Because when you're not working, you'll slip into things that you ought not slip into. Now look at what he says in verse 12. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. That's the biblical way of Paul saying to the busybody, shut your mouth. That's what he's saying. He says, stop talking. Because if you continue to sow dissension amongst God's people, there are going to be very, very serious ramifications are going to come upon your life. And we see that. We see people who run down the people of God and then we see God's harsh hand of judgment come upon them for their sin. So the first danger is not working. Now, the second thing I want us to see is the dignity of work. Let's talk about the dignity of work. Let's shift gears and look at something a little more positive. Notice that Paul draws their attention to the way he and Silvanus and Timothy lived among them when they were with them. Look at verse 7. He says, but you yourselves, you know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. We, we were, we did what we should do. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we didn't have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. They realized the problem, and so they specifically worked hard so that the people there would see the way they ought to act. They worked with their own hands. Paul worked as a tent maker, as a leather worker, and he he would work. And here he is, a, a, a skilled, highly educated apostle of God, and yet he's working 
so that the people of God in Thessalonica can see that this is the pattern that God has laid out for us. He's giving them an example to imitate. You know, Jesus spent much more of his time as a carpenter than he did preaching the gospel. Did you ever think about this? That probably 20 years of his life were devoted to hard work with his hands and only three, three and a half years of his life were really devoted specifically to ministry. And when he called his disciples, who did he call? He didn't call uh, the elite. He didn't call those who were lounging around and spending their time on, on higher pursuits. He called the fishermen and the tax collectors. He called working men to be his disciples. You see, all work in the kingdom of God has a certain dignity because God himself is a worker. Remember Genesis 2? The scripture says that on the seventh day, God ended all of his work that he had done. You see, he's a worker. Our God works, not because he has to, because that that shows us something about God. That if the God of the universe works, then work must be good. Jesus said in John chapter 5, my father has been working, that he's working and I've been working. The God of the universe, your heavenly father, the one that we've come to meet with today, the one we've come to worship and celebrate today, he works. He doesn't sit by idly. And so human beings who were created in his image were made to do the same. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had jobs to do. There was work there. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God, He took up the man and He put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. You know what God didn't do? God didn't provide perfection for His creation and then say, well, now just take it easy and it will just provide everything you need without you having to do anything. Now, He certainly could have done that. It would have been very easy for God to do that, but that's not what He did. He created perfection and part of perfection. Everything he made was good. You see, you have to take everything that's happened in the creation account. If everything was good and the way it was made was such that it needed to be tended and kept, that shows you that that is good, that that is how God intended it, that that's how it's supposed to be, that even in a perfect creation, God made people to be productive. Think about this. Genesis 1.28, the scripture says God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth and subdue it. Now, there are many interesting things about that passage of scripture, many of which I talked about last Sunday night in the first part of the series on heaven. But what struck me about that passage of scripture is that God created the earth purposely dependent upon human beings to bring it to its fullest potential. You see that? He calls creation pre-sin, pre-Genesis 3. He calls creation to be subdued and to be filled by the created. Isn't that amazing? That it, it is in need, it won't reach its full potential unless man is productive. He made human beings. He made you and me to be co-partners in the completing of the work of creation. Everything God made was good. You know, God put work in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, the Scripture says, In six days you shall labor and do all your work. It's just assumed that man will work, that that's what we'll do. That 
God put His hands in the dirt and got His hands dirty in creation. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as uh, spiritual work and secular work. Do you know that? Do you know that, that this, this contemporary idea that what I do is, is in a special category that's different and elevated and separated in the eyes of God than what you do is utterly and completely nonsense? It is. I know you don't believe me, but you will by the end of today. I knew that you'd be looking at me this way. But that's okay. Buckle in. Here we go. If you bake cakes for the glory of God, if you are uh, a person who is an attendant at a service station for the glory of God, you are in full-time Christian service. Whether you're an airplane pilot, whether you run a fish farm, whether you do computer programming for the glory of God, I will make the case today that you're in full-time Christian service. If you do something Monday through Friday, if you do something full-time, that is full-time Christian service. Kingdom work is not only taking a mission trip or teaching a Sunday school class or leading a connect group. It's also what you do as a Christian day in and day out. You see, if you, maybe you pave roads for a living, or maybe you sell lumber for a living, or maybe you provide a hard day's labor for a fair price. What I want you to realize this morning is that God sees the mom whose minivan is filled with children who drives on the road that you pave safely. That God sees the family who is huddled together in a closet as the storm passes by and they remain safe because of the the quality of building materials that you sold them. That you don't see that. You think you're just putting another shipment of two-by-fours on a truck or you think it's just another day in the blazing heat behind a paving machine, but God doesn't see it that way. God sees all the nuances of all the people and all the ways that that will be used to be a blessing to those who come along after you. You see, we call our job a vocation. We say, well, that's what's your vocation? Well, that comes from the, the, the etymology of that word is that it comes from the Latin word vocate, which means calling. Well, it's really your calling. Your vocation is really your calling. That's what it's supposed to mean. But you have to think deeply about what's really going on, which is exactly what I've been doing over the last several weeks. I've just been thinking about you and I've been thinking about what you do. And I've been thinking about the ways in which I've been saying, God, give me your eyes to see the ways in which you redeem the things that are done by the people in this faith family that nobody seems to pay attention to. And I've thought of dozens of them. I thought about how in a few weeks... I'm going to get on a plane with a team. We're going to fly to Brazil. And while we're in Brazil, Matt and Melanie Davis are going to be with me. And while we're there, we're going to walk through outdoor markets where meat hangs open, laden with flies, where food is in utterly and completely unsanitary conditions. And that's the only way people can eat. And it makes me think about the fact that Matt's father runs a grocery store. 
and that his vocation is every day to provide safe food for people. It's not just a job. If you've ever seen someone who doesn't have it, you realize it's far more than a job. You see that God is using that to mend culture, to mend society. That there was a day maybe where even in uh, the United States that you might be the way that they are in Brazil with regards to food safety, but it's not that way anymore. Why? Is it because of our human ingenuity? Is it because we're so smart and good? Is that why? Is that why we enjoy more than anybody else in the world? Or is it because God has chosen to bless us? To bless us. And that He's called us to do things that are far more than a job. You know, uh, not everything is a calling, obviously. I mean, if your job was making pornography or running a meth lab, then that doesn't qualify as a calling. But if your job is is not an immoral pursuit, if it's something that uh, you do that you just think just goes along, that nobody really pays any attention to, you need to stop and think about the way God sees it. Maybe you... Maybe you work in a, a school cafeteria and, and every day you serve food to little faces as they pass by. Maybe you think that you do that merely to pay your bills. Maybe you think that nine out of ten of those little faces that pass in front of you every day are not grateful for uh, the food that they're getting. But have you ever stopped to consider that you are serving people created in the image of God whom He loves and whom He sent His Son to die for, and that the smile that you give to that one person may be the only smile that they get. It may be the smile that stops them from making a drastically bad decision in their life. And you may never know that. But God knows that. You know, Christians, and especially Biblical Christians, especially Christians like we have here in this faith family, we love to talk about how God is the relentless pursuer of people. We love that. And we, we love to, 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 to take note of and to see how God just works in all the details to pursue people. But then we turn right around and we miss the obvious reality that the same God who relentlessly pursued you is relentlessly pursuing others in all the tiny details of our lives. That He didn't just make you a bank teller at a bank so that you would get a a paycheck at the end of the week. That He put you at a bank. He put you at a branch where there's a lady or a man who works beside you or behind you who's about to go through a horrific divorce. And he knows that or is about to lose a loved one. And he knows that and he's placed you there. And so when you're standing there just processing checks or counting out bills, remember something that when something happens to someone in front of you or someone beside you or someone behind you, that God has placed you there for a reason. Every week. I get the privilege to stand up here and to proclaim the glory of the sovereign God of the universe who never misses a detail. But let me ask you a question. Do you think that he accidentally gave you the boss that you have? Do you think that every day when you wake up and you punch the clock, that God is not directing people that he's pursuing into 
the place that you work, that he's not, he's not driving people right into your path so that your life will intersect with their life. So that maybe, just maybe, in the, in surrounded by miserable people who are just, uh, miserable, miserable in their jobs, that somehow someone would walk by and see joy on your face and stop and say, why are you so happy? Everyone else here hates their job. But you have a smile on your face. So you can tell them. You know, as I ask God to, to help me see the details of all of the little ways in which He uses us, He, he He's so good. He actually gave me some some specific opportunities to just... And it was almost... There were times where where some of the things I'm about to say when they were happening, I know that I had a crazy look on my face because they're thinking, what's wrong with you? But it was because I'm literally watching God answer my prayer right before my very eyes. And it was just so amazing. I got the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to take a tour of a... Uh, a factory here in Gulfport that uh, people in this room right now work at. And they produce these enormous um, uh, giant pieces that go on the outside of submarines. And I was just looking at the, the enormity and the complexity of, of what it takes to create these things and how they operate on a submarine so that the sonar works, so that the submarine is able to know everything that's going on. And as I'm looking at all the technology and I'm looking at all the things, I started thinking about the people in this congregation who work there. And they may not specifically have anything to do with this particular thing, but they work there. And I started thinking about how if they... If they didn't think about it, they might think, well, you know, we just make these things and I just have this job and that's what happens. But that's not what I thought about. I thought about Lionel back there. Retired from the Navy, spent his whole career in submarines. I thought about how his wife, Joanne, and their children felt every time he left on deployment. And as he spent months away from home in a submarine... You think they appreciated the fact that that submarine was safe? You think they appreciated the fact that somebody worked hard to make something so that submarine would know if there was danger around them? You see, God sees the family that's waiting at the dock when their loved one comes home because somebody took time to make something so that they were safe and able to do their job while they were away. You have to think about all the ways that that God sees things. I spent a week in Arizona on the Navajo Reservation. And you know what I did that week? I spent every day that week roofing a church. And it didn't miss my attention that my co-laborer works at a factory in Gulfport that produces roofing. And I thought about how every day he wakes up and every day he goes to a factory that makes roofing. And how that roofing is keeping churches dry so the gospel can be preached. So there's families that, that live in houses that, that aren't being wet or aren't being run out by mold because they produce roofing. 
That God uses that and the mender uses that for his glory in our world. And that every day he gets to do that and that it's a blessing to people. You see? And it's not just that. It's just little ways that sometimes God, sometimes God just wants us to know that he knows. It's just his little way of poking. You ever had those moments? Yeah. I was sitting this week with a sister in the church and we were talking. And she said, hey, I got to tell you something. I said, tell me. She said, uh, my job took me out to uh, San Francisco for a while. And so that's where I've been. And I said, oh, really? Well, did you enjoy it? And she said, well, not really. You know, I mean, it's I'm there. I'm by myself. My family's not with me. So I just pretty much huddle close to my hotel and I just do my job and, and I'm ready to go home. And she said, one day I was sitting in my hotel and it was a beautiful day outside. And she thought, maybe I'll maybe I'll get out and I'll, I'll go up north and I'll see some of the the beautiful redwoods and the sequoias and all the beauty that's there. And so she got in her car and she drove up there in a rental car and she came to this clearing where, you know, in the National Park and there was a little rest area where she could park and there was no one there and there's these enormous redwoods. And she just wanted to walk and be by herself and just be in the glory of God and look at these uh, just enormous trees. And she said, as soon as I got there, I, I just really began to enjoy myself. And suddenly a car pulls up. And she said, I thought, oh, brother, you know, there goes my solitude. And a couple got out and came over. And, and then the lady started talking to her. And she thought, oh, brother, there really goes my solitude. And so the lady strikes up a conversation with her. And she says, where are you from? And she said, well, I'm from Mississippi. And the lady in San Francisco says, really? I know Mississippi. I, uh, we are into equestrian uh, events and we go all over the, the country and we're at the Winter Classic right there on. There's some, some county farm place right there that we're at all the time. And she said, you, you go to the county farm? And she said, yeah. She said, that's right by my house. Like, how random is that? <laughs> Hold on. And the lady said, well, hey, let me tell you something. When we're there, we go to this amazing church right around the corner called Michael Memorial. You need to check that out. And she's thinking, I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> And this lady is inviting me to Michael Memorial. You don't think God is in the details? You don't think He wants us to know that He is paying attention to all the things that we don't see? He is. And so if you wake up and, and you're an engineer and you go into the office and you just do your work and it's all about just... Focusing on your job and making sure that you, you know, you, you do a good enough job not to get fired. You need to stop and remember that, wait a second, you're making things safe so that families don't face tragedy because you took time to do something the way it needed to be done. That God has called you to that vocation and that it's not just the people around you, which it is, but it's also what you do that matters. Whether you push a broom, whether you, whether you teach children in a classroom, whatever it is you do, it matters to God because there's dignity to work. Number three, there's difficulty of work. 
You see, I realize that work is hard. And that we think of work in a negative way. That one of the reasons we don't see work the way the Bible sees work is because we, we understand that work's hard because the world is broken. That's what makes it hard. That we labor in a broken world. And because of sin, everything now works against us. Everything's harder than it was intended to be. And so we have to work and labor. And there's competition and there's taxes and regulations. And there's... Uh, persecution sometimes because of our faith in the workplace. There's injustice. There's all sorts of things. But all that is because the Bible says in Genesis 3 that cursed is the ground for your sake and in toil you shall eat of it and all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the herb of the field and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread and turn uh, and you'll return till you return to the ground. And it's just God saying, listen, It's hard. I know it's hard, but it's not it wasn't intended to be hard and it's not always going to be hard. But while it's hard, understand that every day that you work and that you labor for the glory of God, you are doing what God called you to do. You know, everything doesn't go the way we plan it to go. I know that. I mean, I know that. That some of you are thinking, but you have no idea where I work. And maybe you're right. Maybe I don't. But God does. And, and I would just submit to you that, you know what? Everyone has struggles at work. Everyone. And that no one's job goes their way all the time because the world is broken. That's just the way it is. And I know maybe there's some of you who are sitting in here and you're thinking... Pastor, why are you saying all this? I already don't see my husband. We already, he's already disconnected from everything going on with my children because all he ever does is work. Well, you know, that's not, that's not working to the glory of God either. I mean, God's not calling us to be a workaholic because I know, because that's the danger that I face. That's, that's the, the, the curse of my family. That's why my dad left when I was eight years old. It's because he didn't have time for me and my sister. Because he was married to his occupation. You see, work can become an idol. Because what happens is, if we're not careful, we won't work for the glory of God, but we'll work to replace God. We'll work to achieve things and to attain things that, will, that we think will replace our need for God, but they won't. And so we need to be careful that work is not the way we, especially as men, vindicate and validate ourselves. That your worth is not determined by what you do. Your work is determined, your worth is determined by whose you are. And that you work according to what he's called you to do. And so that's important. But then lastly, and maybe the best part of this whole discussion is the delight of work that I really want you to see work as God sees it. I want you to see the delight of hard work. Work becomes a delight when we work for others and not for ourselves. You know, there's something about laboring hard for the blessing of other people that that fulfills the heart of of a Christian. When we see what we do as having a positive impact on the community around us, and in the lives of the people in which we, we maybe don't know, but that we live amongst, then we appreciate the fact that 
we're able to do that. You know, I, I think about people who transition in work. I think about the lady in our congregation who, after many, many years, she retired. And it wasn't easy. I, I had multiple conversations with her. She, she agonized over the decision of what to do and how to do it. And she retired from her job at Kmart. And you know what? Now, she invests so much of her time in visiting those who need to be visited. That all the time, when I'll, I'll show up somewhere to visit somebody, there she is. Or I'll drive by and I'll see her vehicle in the driveway as she's just spending time with people who are shut in or who are sick or who are afflicted. And so she transitioned from one thing to another, but it's for the glory of God. That God has called us to be invested in what He's doing. You know, the gospel is not about getting you and me right so that we can go to sleep at night with a clear conscience. It's not about getting, we're just going to get all of our sin forgiven so we don't have anything to worry about and then we can just sort of lay back and float along life in the lazy river. The gospel is about the renewal of all things. It's about God mending and we being His hands and feet. And that goes for our jobs, our families. It goes for every aspect of our lives. He's Lord of all. We will delight in our work when the gospel is on display in the way that we treat other people. What brings my heart such joy is the people in this fellowship who have jobs that maybe others might look down upon, but who work heartily as under the Lord with a smile on their face and it blesses my heart. We delight in our work when the gospel has freed us from a life of self-absorption and we can work as the, under the Lord to be able to give to the blessing of people other than ourselves. Work becomes a delight when we realize that when we get off work or when we, when we walk away from that, that job site, that when you look in your rearview mirror at the end of the day, I hope that you see that you have spent the day laboring in the family business. Because that's what you've done. Your job is working in the family business under the supervision and authority of your loving Father. You get to get up every day and go to work with your Abba Father, your dad. We're called into partnership with God as He's mending the world. That's what we're doing in our work. Men, that's what's happening day in and day out. Women, that's what's happening day in and day out. I mean, whether you're a nurse or a painter or whether you sell life insurance, every day you have an opportunity to foster hope in someone's life. Every day you can fight injustice in the world in some way. Every day you can be joyful in your service. Every day you can take joy in the fact that today you get to work in the family business, that you are going to work in the place where your dad has called you to work. That he, you are seizing the opportunities that your father has given you in the place that you are. You get to work every day with your dad. You see, it's not just me. I tell the staff all the time. I drive up into this parking lot. And I put my truck into park. And I just think, God, 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me work with you today. Thank you for letting me work with you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that will work with you today. That they'll wake up for the moms that are going to get up and work with you today as they instruct their children. As they do things that seem like they're just menial things. That as they wash the dishes for their family, they're, they're ministering to their family through the hands and feet. They're mending through the gospel. Don't you see that? That as a Christian, the gospel impacts every single area of our lives. And if we believe that God's not connected in our Mondays, that they don't matter to Him, you're going to miss, you're going to miss so much from God. You're going to miss such a great opportunity that God has given us. You know, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 that God will, He will reward us who work heartily as unto Him. That tells me something about our work. It tells me that our work is going to be something that is discussed. It's going to be something that comes up at the judgment seat of Christ. That it matters that much to Him. Please. I know some of you think that what you do is so meaningless. But it's not. Your boss is the one who has called you beloved son. Your boss is the one who sent his son to die for you. And I want you to know your heavenly father, he loves to watch you work. He's proud of you. He smiles at you. He sees the sacrifices that you make. When you get up out of bed before the sun comes up and you suck down that last drop of coffee and try to muster up the strength for what's ahead and, and, and get in the car for the long commute alone or, or begin to move toward this, this enormous task that you know is before you or the, the persecution that awaits you or whatever it is. I want you to know something. Your heavenly father is with you in that moment and he's smiling down at you and he's proud of you. Because you were doing what He called you to do. Because listen to me, if you're saved this morning, you wouldn't be there and you wouldn't be doing that unless your Father ordained it. Because you do nothing apart from His sovereign hand. So that wouldn't be your job if God hadn't allowed you to be there. And you won't switch jobs unless God allows you to change. And sometimes He does. So I'm not telling you to stay where you are. I'm not telling you to look somewhere else. I'm telling you to work for the glory of God where you are. And if God opens a door, walk through that door. But engage yourself in what God is doing around and through you. He knows how difficult it is. He knows. He knows. But He's your Father. He loves you. You see, He sees. He sees the slump in your shoulders. He sees the agony in your heart because of the the ungratefulness of the teenager at home that doesn't appreciate the things that you provide. He sees that. He sees all the the things that are ahead that you don't know about. 
You see, he sees that moment. He sees that that thanksgiving that's somewhere off in the horizon when you're sitting around the table and you're, you're in the twilight years of your life and you're grown children and their children and maybe even their children are around the table and you're tired and your bones are weak and your joints ache and you, you know that, that heaven's just around the next corner and God sees that moment when your children look at you and say, Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, I know you don't think I noticed. I know you don't think I cared. I know you don't think I appreciated what you do. But I did. I did. I took note of how hard you worked. I took note of the, of the, of the labor that you put forth. And I know that I wasn't the son that I ought to be. But thank you, Dad. Thank you, Mom. Thank you for working hard. Thank you for showing me the way it ought to be done. And listen, maybe that day won't come. Then let me tell you of a day I know will come. That when you work heartily as unto the Lord, the best news in all the world is that as God's watching you, He's watching you the way we watch our little six-year-old play t-ball. That they waddle out there to home plate. They can't hold the bat straight. They don't even know which way first base is. They start swinging around like they've lost their mind. And whether they hit the ball and it goes an inch or they miss the ball completely, if they run the wrong direction, if the ball goes out and they don't catch the ball, you know what you do? You cheer. You cheer at your little six-year-old. And you go, that's my son. And you say, run, son, run. And then you, and then when they don't make it, you laugh and you say, well, that's my son. And you cheer. Woo, go on. That's how your heavenly father sees you laboring today. That's what he's doing when he sees you tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday. He's cheering you on because you're his son. You're his daughter. He's not looking at the performance reports. He's not, he's not analyzing how fast you're advancing through the company. He's not paying attention to your 401k. Because listen, even if at the end of the day, there is no moment. There is no moment where your son says, Dad, thank you. There is no moment where your children acknowledge all your hard work. The moment will come for every son or daughter who works heartily under the Lord where he will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I saw you pushing the broom. I saw you picking up after people. I know they weren't grateful. But I am. Because I'm mending this world. And you worked heartily unto me. And what you did was part of the process of what I'm accomplishing on earth. And so well done, son. Well done. Fathers, Monday matters to God. Let's stand.
Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to to just peer into the way you see things. And even just for a moment, Lord, thank you for the encouragement that you bring today. God, I I thank you. I thank you that you care. I thank you that you love your children. I thank you that you are in the details of our lives. And Father God, I thank you that you've invited us into your family. And oh Lord, the greatest blessing that any of us can ever have is to know for certain that you are our dad. Oh God, I know that nothing, nothing, nothing could make Father's Day any more special for you than if someone who's outside of your kingdom would come to you today. God, that some of your sons would would just kneel down and maybe have that talk with you in prayer that we talked about around the Thanksgiving table. And they would say, Dad, I'm sorry that it seems like I didn't notice. I'm sorry that I complain about my job all the time and that I've had a bad attitude. But Lord, thank you for being the perfect Heavenly Father and thank you that that all of my sin is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that, that tomorrow's Monday and that I can wake up and go to work in the family business for you. I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord God, for the, the work that will be done for your glory. And we give you praise and honor today for whatever you do in our hearts, God, because we recognize we cannot do it alone. So do now, Lord, what only you can do. In Jesus' name. The altar's open. I invite you to just respond to the Lord.